What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheen. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, I almost made it into the R. Kelly episode, dude. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I'm like almost in my closet because I'm trying to cut down on the sound noise. Yeah, we're trying to bring you the best quality pod we can. To give us a shout out, please subscribe somewhere below bottom right if you're on youtube please subscribe but yeah so listening back to last week's episode you can definitely hear some of the cars going by my apartment is right next to a main road in the the town that i live there's not much i can do to cut down the noise unless i go like deep either into my closet like in my bathroom next so it's tough if you're interested in the troubles of audio please reach (laughs) out to me in any way you want because it happens to me every week my great equipment fails me so we, we try. If, if you listen and you think it sounds like shit, well, we're doing our best. <laughs> give, give us a break every once in a while. But we got a couple things to talk about today. Grammys, the nominations came out. We're going to be talking Easy Season 2 and Lady Bird. Very positive. 100%. 100% positive. So wh- why don't we start with the Grammys here? So what what Grammys is this going to be? Does anyone even give a fuck? The number? I do not know the number. 60? I don't know. Yeah, 60th. Wow. 60th Grammys came out and like you said fairly positive yeah. agreeable i think you could say there's always yeah. going to be a snub something you're not going to agree with but it's nothing like outrageous like last year dj khaled was nominated for best rap album for major key can you name a song off that album no exactly but i, I can't say phrases you know another one or major key they don't want us to win so we're gonna <laughs> win more yeah so it's interesting because y- your man Ho, throwing up that dynasty sign, Dave. Eight nominations leading the field. Did you think 444 would be leading the 60th Grammys in nominations after listening to it? Yeah, I think about that way. It was the, the overall nomination leader in a year. There's no Katy Perry. She got totally shut out for the first time since we've known who she was. Yeah, well, that album sucked. It did. It, I guess you got to think, like, it'd be, would Lord or Bruno Mars get more noms? But no, Jay-Z, you know, I, I, guess, I guess I can see it. You know, it's kind Kendrick of Lamar. Beat. That's, oh yeah, shit. Why, why, why didn't Kendrick get more? That's a good point. You yeah, got like, seven. Like, and yeah, and in Kendrick, like this is the year where every Grammy voter that didn't vote for him for Tim Butterfly, which he won a few awards that year, but like now, like oh, we know who Kendrick Lamar is. Oh, check that box. He, they tell me he's good. Let me like, there's, there's no secrets anymore about Kendrick. So you got to figure he's gonna run away with most of the awards. But yeah, Jay Z, interesting. I don't think he's gonna win a whole lot of them if you look at uh, each race. No, I don't think so. But I think, you know, with the Grammys, we know that the people who should win don't always win. So I think the nominations matter almost more than who actually exactly. wins. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. You you mentioned Lord and Melodrama, that she might have been the one who could have gotten more nominations or maybe deserved more. She wasn't even the most nominated female artist this year. Was it, who was it? SZA. Oh, yeah. I'm happy she's getting the attention. She'll probably win Best New Artist. Definitely. Multiple song nominations. Yeah, no, good for her. That's a great record and really shows the benefits of tough love because Top Dog and TDE were giving her a lot of shit for fucking up that album for like a year and a half and it turned out great early this year. So it's nice to see it get recognized. Yeah, I have a feeling SZA is going to be on a lot of year-end lists this year, which we're moving towards. Uh, Any notable snubs or anything that you wanted to point out with the nominations i'm not like up in arms about anything like last year i brought dj Khaled before that's because yg's still brazy 
was totally shut out, which was laughable, especially given what got in. But I mean, this year, Ed Sheeran did not get album of the year. Josh Gambino's Awaken My Love snuck in there. So Ed Sheeran's relegated to best pop vocal album. But best pop vocal album, you know, pop vocals really makes you think of Coldplay and Imagine Dragons, right? Because they both got nominated. That's, that's pretty stupid. Would have loved to see Dua Lipa in there or even Demi Lovato, you know, pop vocals, someone who actually sings good. But I digress. Yo, I, I got to say that what Imagine Dragons got nominated for, for what? Thunder? For best best pop duo group performance. Their garbage record. Like, Have you ever so read stupid. the lyrics to that song? <laughs> like literally the last like I don't know, 20 lines of that like the lyrics are just lightning and the thunder i do get the grammys credit though for knowing that it's all funny business all made up anyway father john misty is nominated for alternative best alternative yeah because they're just gonna give pure comedy to win because they don't want to give any other shit in that category anything well actually i looking through that category which I was like, yes, this is my category. It's not as bad no, as the, the rock stuff. The rock stuff was almost... I, I actually think LCD or... Honestly, I think that's probably the most stacked like rock category at this point. Everything now, horrible fucking album. How that gets nominated for Best Alternative? At, yeah, exactly. I don't know. But Humans, American Dream, and Sleep Well Beast all can win that category. Pure Comedy is up there too, but if that wins, I don't, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. Also, uh, how about our man Bruno Mars getting that Best Album nom? 24 Karat Magic came out like a year ago. I didn't forget about that, which is great. Obviously, we love that album. It's like a tight 35 minutes, Perfect. and it's awesome. Uh, as we've said before, mm-hmm. check out the review. SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod if you're really, really keen. But speaking of old albums that didn't get recognized, A Tribe Called Quest. Thank you for your service. We'll take it from here. We got it from here Thank from last year. Totally shut out. Nothing for Tribe. Q-Tip has been airing his grievances. Really mad about it because they performed at the Grammys last year, and that album was critically acclaimed. And you know, you would have thought, that it was kind of a shoe and if anything i mean last year de la souls album which was way less high profile got nominated but i mean this year best rap album it, it's pretty strong you mentioned jay-z obviously kendrick then from there you get tyler Creator's flower boy awesome for tyler migos culture and rhapsody lala's wisdom which is really surprising because rhapsody yeah. is not famous and not well known but yeah that came at the expensive tribe which is kind of crazy in hindsight but it's a great fucking I mean, what album. do you think? The thing is, like, especially with the rap categories are so stacked right now. I mean, I think we were talking before we recorded how Drake didn't even put his album up for nomination. So it's like, Submit. Yeah. without Drake even putting it up there, what albums would have missed out if he was? So, you know, it's it's the type of thing. Some They're always going to have snubs. It's too bad it came at Tribe's expense because I really like that album. But I, I like that they're giving uh, Rhapsody some shine. You know, might as well. You know, it's also interesting, like, looking through, like, Song of the Year. Like, there's, there's some that... You would expect Despacito. That's what I like. But 1-800-273-8255. Your guy, Logic. Remember, song of the year is for songwriting. Record of the year is for performance. But still, yeah, I mean, that song was a huge smash. I mean, Logic's mainstream now. Didn't really see it coming. There's some really, I think, some really positives in this. I mean, the Grammys, which we've said is like the least important of all the major award shows. We said it already. Drake didn't submit his album. He didn't submit Views. Last year, Frank Ocean <laughs> didn't submit Blonde, which they would have yep. loved to shower and acclaim. So when the people that you're supposed to be giving awards to don't care, especially the biggest people, you know, it only means so much. The nominations is kind of what people get up in arms about. But I mean, Jay-Z, speaking of 444, the last time, this is actually, well, this is his first album of the year, hmm. Nom, which is kind of nuts. He has had, you know, a few good albums and he's been famous forever. He last won Best Rap Album in 1999 for the lifetimes of Sean Carter, 
volume two. I don't think he's going to get it this year because of Dan, but crazy that he hasn't won in so long. 18 years. People have been born and become adults in the time that. <laughs> exactly. And you think like Black Album, oh, that should have won. It should have won. It didn't because that was the year College Dropout came out. <laughs> Kanye. I'm just waiting for that Kanye album just to come out of nowhere. Drop from the mountain that he's working on it on. Anyways, why don't we jump into Easy Season 2 unless there's anything else you want to shout out about the Grammys. Shout out Lil Uzi Vert for Best New Artist. Yeah. He won't win, but I'm happy he got noticed because Exo Tour Life is my song of the year. Spoilers. Random note, did you see the, the video that's out there today uh, all over Twitter and Instagram of the people dancing to Bodak Yellow in, in the subway? I did see that. That's fucking nuts. Dude, <laughs> that, that gave me so much life and hope for yeah. society in general. There was like old people, young people, every race, ethnicity, hanging around dancing. It was pretty awesome. We'll talk about this way more in a few weeks but that's the biggest case for bodak yellow as one of the top songs of the year is that it's the biggest song in terms of fame and the fact that people love it so much and it's just empowering and uplifting to people <laughs> shout out cardi b definitely the song's undeniable too shout yeah, out cardi b sure. she might be able to save our country anyway jumping into easy season two joe swansburg joe swan swansburg swan singular one swan. Joe Swanberg. Easy season one kind of came out of nowhere in 2015. It was a big hit. 15? Wasn't it last year? Was it last year? I thought I saw 15. It was last year. It was like, it was like a year ago. 2016. Yeah, it was like it was um, like September. And what, what year are we in? I feel, I feel like I'm living in a bizarre world at this point. Going backwards. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, Easy Season 2 dropped this past Friday. We, we decided we we're going to talk about the first two episodes. But just to kind of give a brief take on Season 1, I think we both really enjoyed it. Thought it was a show that had an interesting perspective, interesting story. Season 1, you were a big fan, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Yeah, you said Joe Swanberg. He's a really prolific, like, independent film director. He's made like thirty movies in thirteen years. Not a lot of movies that are none of the blockbusters. They're all small movies with small budgets. But he's got a great relationship with Netflix now, and and so I got this anthology series off the ground last year. And we've talked about it a little bit before, but just the rehash. It's set in Chicago, and it's just these stories of relationships and adult couples and city life and stuff like that. But I think what made season one so charming and great and why it's one of the most underwatched shows out there is that there's no like catch there's no genre to this the show it's not a, they're not all mystery episodes it's not sci-fi or you know high concept there's not even crime stuff it's just stories yeah like anecdotes you kind of just jump around and it's just really refreshing that there's no like take yeah, and it's diverse. I mean, they, they look at people of all different gender, identification, sexuality. It's modern. Yeah, it's just a really well done show. Season two, episode one, The Package Thief. They actually brought in some new blood. So when they showed the trailer, it was mostly the same people from season one. But to start off season two, they started with Aubrey Plaza, Timothy Simons, Joe Latruglio. Quite the episode. I just got to say, it had one of my favorite quotes of the year. Or Joe Latruglio out of nowhere is like, he wears New Balance. He's a runner. <laughs> I, I laughed. Yeah. I laughed really hard at that. <laughs> Joe Latruglio, quietly one of the funniest people in showbiz. He's a former that guy that we've since learned his name. Yep. Yeah, he, yeah he's great. Yeah, he really broke out on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, he's in the Wet Hot revival as well. Yeah, he's everywhere now. So yeah, basically this episode is around Aubrey Plaza and Lawrence Michael Levine. They're a couple living basically in suburban yeah, Chicago. Like a yuppie couple. Yeah, a nice neighborhood. And they are part of this neighborhood community that's the best neighborhood in Chicago or whatever. And then someone starts stealing their packages. 
and it kind of drives everybody a little bit crazy. <laughs> and Aubrey Plaza is like resisting it, resisting it, and then gets caught up in it. I mean, I, I don't think necessarily discussing the plot and like what happens is that important. But what what did you take away from this episode? Like what stood out to you? Well, yeah, I mean, it, again, it, like most of season one, it's a very believable scenario. I've yeah. had an Amazon package stolen before. I haven't seen the thief become a repeat offender like happens on the show. But yeah, it's just, it, it's instantly relatable. And in the, in the case of this episode too, like you, you immediately understood Aubrey Plaza's character's POV, antagonist, if you will, against the neighborhood watch. But I didn't really see that ending coming. No, it's not like either. it's a huge like death or anything. Obviously, it's not what the show is about. But yeah, I didn't see the ending coming. And again, like most of the show, it's just very expertly crafted. Yeah, it was actually really funny. When I was looking up the episode, just like not even thinking about it, I just wrote in Package Thief into Google. And it actually came up with a video from today about this nanny in Seattle who caught this package thief by like, confronting them basically what happened in the episode yeah. <laughs> so it was a realistic scenario something that i think a lot of people can relate to like you said you know it was funny i actually thought like lawrence michael levine in this episode was so perfect because he was so believable as just like a just like a middle class working guy in like a, a tech firm or sure whatever. yeah but then like how him and timothy simons and joe latruglio just like kind of went a little bit crazy and how they were approaching this thing and like fantasizing like obsessing about it it just it had me dying timothy simons dude I, I feel like he doesn't get enough shine like him as jonah on veep and then like what he does here he's he's a really phenomenal like comedy actor at this point latrugio had another good one too he's like he looks hispanic no no i'm not gonna racial way I, i'm just saying he kind of <laughs> he, he looks hispanic like oh no you can't tell yeah no no like it's like obviously there's these totally well-meaning people and just like how they would right. talk and how they're like they're so I wouldn't say PC, yeah. but they're so friendly and they're not trying to be offensive, but they have their point. His first season of season two, the one we just talked about, those were all new characters, no one we had seen before. And right. the second episode, it revisits one of the better episodes of season one. And, you know, before we get into it, I think this is actually a rare show where you can probably watch season two first. And if you like it, go back and watch season one and it'll serve as like flashback, I guess. I think it can work in either order if you actually were that keen on doing it. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. I never thought about that. But yeah, I think if you're just jumping from the same characters, you can definitely just look back. But the stories work independently exactly. as well. Yeah, so this episode had Michael Chernig and Elizabeth Reese as Kyle and Amy. And they're exploring an open marriage. This episode had me feeling incredibly uncomfortable. That was the point. Yeah, it was interesting because it was done so effectively. But like in the end, there really wasn't anything to feel that uncomfortable about. They were two consenting adults doing something that they both decided was best for them. It didn't have a preachy conclusion. It wasn't like monogamy. It's what you do. Like, right. It was just kind of like ah, like even the characters aren't really sure where they're at. And that's how it ends. Yeah, which I, I, I thought was, was really effective. Yeah, it was all done super respectfully of each other. I, I really felt like it was interesting to see how they both approached it. And, like, the awkwardness that was between them with, oh, so who are, who are you texting? But, like, it's your fucking spouse. Yeah. Like, it, it was interesting because it also made me examine, like, why I was feeling uncomfortable and, like, my own feelings around yeah. it. Just a really smart show in general. Yep, I, I agree. I uh, actually watched the third episode as well. Did you jump ahead? I have not. I will, though. I, I had to make myself slow down because it's the type of thing I could have just probably binged all eight if i wanted yeah, to. yeah 30 minute episodes too you can do what you did the master none season one and just gorge yourself season two sorry trying to slow it down so we'll, we'll probably catch up somewhere near the end when we're done i don't know maybe around like seven eight yeah just finish the sure season. send us your thoughts on, on easy season two tweet us at, at nostalgia pod at martin swagger and at sheeny world peace drop the o you know joe swansburg though swan joe swan oh fuck swanberg 
Swansburg, that reminds is that is that Joe's name in fucking Family Guy? Joe Swanson. Swanson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like combining those two. Anyways, Joe Swanberg used to direct Greta Gerwig, hey. the director of Lady Bird. How Check about that? that? Greta Gerwig, first um, time director at that. Quite opening, just like Jordan Peele and Get Out. The first film is amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable, dude. Quite, quite a year for a rookie film director. So this is an A24 production, dude. They can't miss right now. A24, this year has distributed Good Time, The Florida Project, The Killing of a Sacred Deer from Yorgos, Lady Bird, and The Disaster Artist. Last year, they distributed and produced Moonlight. They've been doing this for a few years now. A24 is the fucking shit. Right now, they're unstoppable. They're finding good talent, good directors, and good stories and executing it. So shout out A24, man. They might be like the winners of the year. That's a good point. I think we'll talk about them for our best of the year, like trend takeaway episode. Definitely. So yeah, this is a pretty good movie, Dave. Lady Bird. It's a story about a teenage girl and her relationship with her mother and her family as she becomes a young adult. Coming of age, 2002, Sacramento. Shout out, Mike Bibby. That's where you're at. <laughs> it's just such a pleasurable watch. And on the surface, it's, it's a very simple premise. We've seen a coming of age movie before. We've seen someone lose their virginity on TV before. None of this is, is new. It's the direction, the acting, the script. It's just so immaculate that look, look look on Twitter. How many people that went to Catholic school are so connected to this movie because of its portrayal of going to Catholic school when you're not really that into Catholicism? There's so many <laughs> angles to love about this movie, which is why I think it rises above, despite being a movie that is quite small in scope and simple. The scene with Lady Bird and her friend laying down eating the Eucharist. Fucking awesome. <laughs> so fucking awesome. Yeah, like paid attention to so many little details of it. Like, like Sarsay Ronan. Searsha. She, she did this in her SNL monologue. It's like inertia. Searsha. Very easy. Cersei Ronan. That was Leslie Jones' joke. I know. I know. That was Joe's joke. Callback. Cersei Ronan. She didn't wear makeup to like show off her blemishes. It was like those little things. She actually looked like a teenager. I thought it was so beautiful too. Like maybe this is jumping ahead a bit, but like they had like mirror scenes that weren't like in your face mirror scenes. It wasn't like this thing happened and they cut to that happening. Like for example, when um, mom played by Laurie Metcalf is talking with the priest who was the director of the play mm-hmm. and how right. he's depressed. And then there's the scene where Lady Bird and her first boyfriend, you know, she says, you're gay, and he just breaks down crying. She becomes so compassionate towards him. It's like these moments where they go from being these, like, hard people that you see all the time to, like, these really soft and genuine emotional, like, women. Like how they're so similar but, like, struggle to connect with each other on so many levels. It's really beautiful and well done, and I thought the story was simple but still pretty complex in a lot of ways like you said the movie from the jump really just like it hooks you as a viewer getting emotionally invested Mm -hmm. in the plot again simple plot but you know by the end like i thought it was a really really emotional ending i was really into it yeah i think a big part of that is the performances are fucking amazing sir sharonin is the darling of the academy already she's gonna get her third acting nomination this year and she's only 23 but yeah i mean laurie metcalf i mean their, their chemistry plot sake the lack thereof <laughs> it, it, it really fuels the movie and really drives it and, you know i think i think she was really good as well yeah and shout out tracy letts because i feel like without him and their chemistry the lady bird and her father on the screen the movie would have felt really contentious and kind of like uncomfortable to watch but he brought a really like, at ease feeling to the screen while also playing this guy who has like this dysthymic affect most of the time definitely 
really interesting. Shout out your man Lucas Hedges as well, playing Danny. It was interesting. So there's a story that when Greta Gerwig wrote this script, she went to Lucas Hedges and was like, you can play any male character you want. And he chose that one. She said, perfect, because I actually wrote that for you. Yeah, it's nuts. This movie is a surface level. It's a great showcase for the next generation of Hollywood because we have Saoirse Ronan, 23, Lucas Hedges, 20, and Timothy Chalamet, 21. And Timothy Chalamet is obviously going to get a Best Actor nomination for Call Me By Your Name this year. Mm -hmm. So Lucas Hedges was nominated for Manchester by the Sea last year. Saoirse Ronan has two other noms already. So it's just a great collection of talent that a lot of people still don't know who they are. Yeah, it's basically like a a rookie all-star team in a way. Because like you got Greta Gerwig who's like announcing herself as like a one maybe a, possibly the next great female director. She also was in Jackie last year, so it, <laughs> she's just an, a talent in and of herself. And then you have like Lucas Hedges, uh, Saoirse Ronan, and like you said, um, Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet, Little Timmy. Man, I think, I think people are gonna look back at this this and be like, wow, they, those three like all in a movie together at that age, crazy. Exactly, because. Soon you can't afford to have all three in the same movie. No, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's weird to think about it that way because I was thinking about it as like almost like a sports team. And this kind of works in the same way. Like eventually, unless it's like a huge budget movie, these guys aren't going to be able to actually be together. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of a tangent a little bit, but this reminds me of the Stranger Things season three, officially confirmed, no doubt about that. But it came out that the cast, all the, you know, all the, the main kids and uh, Millie, Bobby Brown, they're all going to renegotiate their salaries for season three. And they all made 30000 an episode. And then the question is, will Millie, the breakout star, negotiate separate from all the boys? <laughs> it's like, they're all so young, but they also have so much power that they can get that yeah, bread. Definitely. Yeah, M- Millie should, dude. She could she could probably get like 100k an episode or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that. That's like Game of Thrones. But I mean, she could probably double no, it easily. more, right? What's up? It depends. It depends who you, who it is. But yeah, a lot of the main people of Game of Thrones are all a few hundred thousand. You know, it's kind of keep going down like side road here. You hear uh, Jason Momoa is going to be playing the crow? No. That's interesting. Yeah. And he also said that season season eight of Game of Thrones is going to be the greatest piece of filmmaking ever known. The fuck man, does he know? Like he doesn't know anything. I know. It's like, are you even going to be on You died in <laughs> season one, bro. Come on. Right. There ain't maybe no flashbacks. He'll be, maybe he'll be like a White Walker? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like coming out of the ground where he was buried, like, or you know, he was burned. Yeah, yeah. he was burned. No, yeah, it's not. <laughs> you just see, he's just, uh, was it uh, gaslighting, grandstanding, yeah, one of those. <laughs> so, anyways, let's pull it back. So, Lady Bird, did you have any scenes that really stood out to you, or kind of you look back and they're like, wow, that was phenomenal. I think when Lady Bird reconciles with her friend, played by uh, Beanie Feldstein, who's uh, Jonah Hill's sister, Julianne, Julie. Yeah, Julie, right. When she reconciles with Julie, when she realizes that Chalamet's just kind of a douche and like yeah. grows up a little bit, really good. And then also, I mean, obviously not one of the best scenes, but I thought it was really funny watching her get drunk college at the end. And yep. there's just there's so much to latch on to. I mean, any scene really where she has a conflict with her mom, mm-hmm. outstanding. And even the early Lucas Hedges stuff when it's just young love, uh, that's really good too. Yeah, there's two scenes that really stand out. It's the one where, you know, her mom finds out that she applied to the school in new york without knowing it. and then she's just like in the kitchen like i know i know i'm horrible i know i'm bad i know i'm terrible like just screaming at her and the mom won't respond the other scene is that it's like the final scene when she gives her, her she calls her parents leaves a voicemail and then it just shows her driving through a sacramento without you know in the same way that her mom does basically and just like, like like i said the parallels between like her and her mom throughout the movie are they're not really like in your face that much but they are just like subtly brilliant it was it was a great movie do you think this is gonna get a best picture now like no doubt right oh 
Nam? No doubt. I, I don't know if it's going to win. I don't think it will. I mean, for winning, just guessing. I mean, the odds change all the time. If you're interested in the odds, you can go to goldderby.com. That's where you can figure all this shit out. But I think odds, probably the post with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, because that's like Spotlight 2.0 as far as an awards movie goes. Very prescient with journalists in this time. Also, Call Me By Your Name is just really heating up. So, I mean, Lady Bird's like that. 100% Rotten Tomatoes should help it. And it'll Definitely. get a lot of nominations. I think Greta Gerwig should get Best, Best Director nom. But yeah, if they're actually going to pick it to win. Because it's kind of a simple movie, despite being a perfect simple movie, basically. It doesn't mean as much when you give a Best Picture. And that's what these things right. do. It doesn't represent enough, unfortunately. But right now, it's one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie of the year. When is The Post coming out? See, the post is like the very end. That's like fucking like Christmas weekend. Like just the 22nd or something is when that comes out. It's like the last, wow. the last week. That might not even be wide release. So this might be a movie that we don't even get to see until like January. That and Phantom Thread, dude, could be coming up out of nowhere. Exactly. So like they'll have their awards season push. Basically, those movies come out and they don't care about the, the year-end lists. Well, actually, they don't care about our year-end list. All the uh, all the <laughs> publications got to see them at like at uh, the premiere and shit. <laughs> at presser and stuff. So we won't really be able to consider those. But even Call Me By Your Name, that doesn't get to Boston a full month after it went in limited release. And like Lady Bird, I got that like in one weekend after it was in L.A. So some of these movies, they're just really slowing it down, the release. The Shape of Water from Guillermo del Toro is the same boat. That movie looks really interesting. I feel like I've seen the trailer for that a hundred times in the past. Like Our guy Shannon. Yeah, getting to cook a little bit. Also, gotta shout out Lady Bird at the box office because it only, I saw it early on because it got to Boston quick, but it, it only went to wide release two weekends ago, Thanksgiving weekend, and it made about $4 million in like less than a thousand theaters. This past weekend, it made like 4.5. It went up like 12% in its second weekend wide. So, I mean, judging off of past history, this is going to have perform very well throughout award season. You look at like Hidden Figures, Moonlight, La La Land won't be La La Land, of course, I made a lot of money, but Oscar movies are just going to have be a slow burn as the last few blockbusters come out, and then there's nothing in January. So you'll be hearing a lot about this, you're hearing about this movie for a while, so do your best to just see it now before anybody ruins anything for you, because it's really good. Yeah, it's like if you just listened to our whole podcast and haven't seen it, then yeah. we ruined it for you. Our bad, but why not? <laughs> <laughs> just come back later. Like, we have to give that distinction at the end. But I really doubt anyone actually listens to us discuss spoilers that long. Right. Like, come on. And again, like, why are you listening to someone talk about Lady Bird? You don't know about Lady Bird unless you've probably seen it already. Right. It's in exactly. fucking Star Wars. <laughs> well, dude, I'm going to wrap up here. A lot of music next week. Is that right? No, two, two, weeks. two weeks. The 15th. There's no real music of note this weekend. The Crown comes out on Netflix on Friday, season two, if you're into that. I know my mom is. <laughs> We definitely have to start figuring out how we're going to record our year-end list, but it's going to be hard because we have to record a little bit early. So I know. It's going to be like, is Run the Jewels a 2017 album? It has to be. Right? It has to be. Yes. I think, what, fuck, I mean, is anyone else <laughs> going to consider it one? It's like the Grammys. The Grammy year is September to September. Then the awards right. happen in January or February. So if, if our if our year-end is like December 15th, December 15th, Anything that comes out afterwards should go into the following year, right? That's that's the run to Jules thought right now. I feel like we have to consider it. Yeah, I think we do, but man, it's gonna it's gonna be tough to do these lists this year. And because of the movies, like 
a lot of the best movies of the year we will not see 2017 we will see them in january but no one cares what we think of them on for a list in january so well maybe we'll tweet about what we're going to be talking about next week we'll figure it out off air but until then go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod stay plugging and give us a rating review on, on itunes subscribe on youtube listen to us any way you want you probably can't find us on the radio that's not what podcast we're not on your telegram youtube subscription big help please pass us along too we'd appreciate it but yeah it's been a a fun discussion today a lot of positivity hopefully we keep it going you know not a lot of positivity in these times no we we have to refresh after the justice league review which actually we're pretty positive (laughs) anyways give us some feedback we love you peace out all my days i pray